Patrick and I are from completely different backgrounds and see the world through very dissimilar lenses. Patrick comes from a political family in the US. He worked in finance, served in the military, and is an investor and a risk analysis strategist. I grew up in a commune in Germany and studied literature. I'm a writer and a professor of cultural history in the UK. I am also a coach and I have published some books on the art of self-improvement. In other words, Patrick likes dogs, data, guns, and free markets. I like cats, trees, and yards. Patrick's core interest is systems. Mine is psyches. Patrick says tomato, and I say tomato. But what Patrick and I share is a deep curiosity about other people's perspectives and ways of thinking. We both appreciate nuance and complexity and share a sense of being politically homeless. We also share an interest in looking more deeply at current trends and dogmas and a love of Stoic thought. Both of us have a desire for conversations that are not about point scoring, poking holes into other people's arguments, or converting them to our ways of thinking, but that are based on respect and a genuine wish to learn. So I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Hi, Anna. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. So today we were going to talk about optimism and pessimism, intriguing mm-hmm. topics. And one of the reasons we wanted to discuss that topic is because um, we use those terms all the time, almost unthinkingly. You know, they've really become part of our standard lexicon. But what does it actually mean to be a pessimist and to be an optimist? And um, and one of the things that we we've talked about before is that you know, optimistic and pessimistic mindsets can show up in different domains of our life. So we can be a pessimist in one domain and a complete optimist in another domain. So, um, yeah, the, the idea is that I think optimism and pessimism are more complex phenomena than than we think they might be. What's your take on optimism and pessimism? Well, I think, you know, it similar to what you said, it's a it's a, uh, we like to think, I think, simply. Um, and so we like to make it a binary. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? And then the joke is everyone who says they're a realist is just a pessimist who doesn't want to say they're a pessimist, right? Um, and I think that, like you said, is when you were describing to me how your, some of your outlooks on life, it's a blend of both, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, in certain domains of your life, you're extremely optimistic. And then in other, I would say, maybe more domains outside your immediate control, you err on the side of pessimism, whatever you would call that, right? Yeah. And that's where I think it's um, it's more of like we said, it's a spectrum, right? It's not the people that we think are always optimistic. We call them Pollyannas, right? Because yeah. they think things are or manifestors. And those those people actually don't seem to operationalize very well in the world. Because if you only ever plan and hope for the best, it's it's not going to work out that way, right? Just not doesn't that's not that's not how life works. But if you're on the other side, if you're an extreme pessimist and you think everything is going to turn out badly all the time, things will probably turn out <laughs> badly more of the time for you, right? And so there's a a blend in the two, and I don't think it seems like in our in our popular lexicon right now, it's like you're either one or the other. There isn't a room for nuance. There isn't a room for, in these domains, I'm more 
optimistic and in these domains I'm more realistic and these domains I'm more pessimistic, right? You can sort of look at the um the spectrum and how it works. I mean you could describe a little bit how you know your life and how you how you think about how you look at the different domains. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a really nice um opening and and way into the topic. I I do think that um we're all optimistic and pessimistic in different areas of our lives and um and I don't think anyone has a you know glass half empty or glass empty or glass even turned upside down view on everything um and so personally I'm obviously optimistic about our uh, ability to improve ourselves and our ability to learn and our ability to gain deeper self-knowledge and i i trust that that deeper self-knowledge has the power to um transform us in in positive ways um so i believe that we we all have the capacity to um improve ourselves i don't believe in like you know radical complete um you know 360 degree type transformation but i do think we all have the ability to to learn and deepen our self-understanding and and that will have an impact on how we show up. Um, I also do think that, you know, some people focus more on, you know, the things in their lives that haven't gone very well um, and that determines their outlook. You know, we all have, I think a lot of people have a negativity bias, but um, some people have a really extreme negativity bias and they can construct the entire self story around a few instances of failure or humiliation in their life. And they may disregard, you know, like the 99% of things that went well and where they succeeded and where they shone and where they achieved something amazing. Um, so I do think self stories or the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves um, can be very filtered and they can be really, really curated and not always in an optimal way, you know, because if we filter out all the good stuff and just focus in on a few bad moments in our lives and we tell ourselves, oh, that's who we are and that always happens and that's the abiding pattern that can be incredibly damaging. And other people disregard any sorts of failures and um, disavow them. And that, you know, as you say, can also be quite quite um, unhelpful, you know, because then there would be no learning. There would be no need to look deeper or to grow. Um, and you mentioned that I'm perhaps less optimistic about certain things that are beyond my control. So, yeah, I do think, you know, I, I probably worry more about climate change than you do. I worry more about certain political tendencies that we have seen um, emerging and becoming stronger in the last 10 years. I'm um, definitely more concerned about um, the future of our planet than, than you are. And I do also think that there might be, um, you know, at some level, I think optimism and pessimism even play out in the domain of politics, where you have um, quite very, very optimistic politicians. And I guess it always helps to be optimistic when you, when you are a politician, right? And, and I think the more populist politicians are, the more optimistic they are, and sometimes unhinged from, from reality. But optimism is an easier sell when you're, when you're in politics. Um, 
So yeah, how about you? In which areas well, of your life are you optimistic? In which areas are you pessimistic? I mean, I would think um, when I look at it, it's I'm more of a I, I would say a rational optimist when it comes to the progress of technology, the progress of our societies. I think you can say the last ten years you don't like some of the things in politics, but if you look at the last hundred, we're so much better off in a hundred years. And so you're looking at it as it has to be a linear move, whereas it may just be a little, there's just steps, there's just undulations and volatility. So it all depends on what your horizon is, right? If you say, well, the last 30 years, technology hasn't been great, but in the last 200 years has been unbelievable. Well, you're just looking at too short of a window of growth, right? So politics may be, and because there's reactionary, right? There's volatility, people react to forces, and those can cause, because you and I talk about pendulums, overshooting. Yeah. And it's the same, I think, in, in pessimism and optimism. When things go really well for people, they extrapolate out that they're going to continue to go well. And then when they go back to baseline, which it's still basically in the same direction, it's still going well, they can actually look, they can feel more negative about themselves, right? Whereas if they enjoyed the, um, I would say, overperformance, but they didn't think it was going to continue forever, those people, would, you would say, have a more resilient mindset because they were okay with it coming back to normal. So when I think about optimism and pessimism, I think, and one of the things you and I talked about was how they overlap with sort of, you know, scarcity versus, or fixed versus growth mindsets. And, you know, I think those would have to be um, looked at in sort of concert with one another. Because I think it's hard to say, are you what are you a pessimist in what domain, right? I mean, you can say you're a pessimist and that you're not going to get out of life alive. There's a finite portion to our life. I'm not a techno optimist who thinks they're going to upload my consciousness and I'll live forever. Nor maybe I don't know if I actually would want to. Um, and the, the other question then is, is how they sort of interplay. Can you be um, a pessimist with sort of a growth mindset, which maybe you know schopenhauer and other people would argue you could be right yeah. and or is it only the domain of people that they're in a quadrant they're sort of ha you have to be a, a super optimist in order to have those resiliency growth mindsets and i would argue that there's probably a blend and optimal and i'm i'd say more positive about the trajectory whether or not it is it's not a perfect linear of our um development as a as a species and on the planet because I think we can apply um, unbelievable amounts of computing and brain power to solve our problems. And we've been able to do it in the past. And there's no reason, like you're just saying, is the negativity bias, right? If you only look at the negative, you're going to extrapolate it forward. But if you don't, if you look at all the problems humanity has overcome in the last 30,000 years, I, I don't think it, 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 it therefore follows to me that we'll be able to overcome them. And they may not be comfortable and there may be a lot of pain, but we'll continue to advance. Mm. Yeah. And it also depends on what kind of news you consume, right? And I guess you have, uh, depending on which newspaper you read in the UK, you will either have a very positive outlook on the UK's future or an extremely negative outlook. So so it's about what kind of information you focus on and then um, how representative you think that information is for broader tendencies. Um, and I think Another interesting point that that you just mentioned is that kind of idea of the 
the growth mindset versus the you know scarcity mindset and and whether we um focus on what could be or what is or what isn't right and 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 then i think personality type comes into into um the equation as well you know some people are very very focused on on detail and on on the present or the past and other people are really good at envisaging the future and what isn't there yet you know the visionaries the pioneers probably investors you know people who can see opportunities um in the future that aren't there yet and they 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 assume that you know this can be tangible this can become concrete um whereas other people are very very focused on um you know stuff that might not have gone well in their in their past and and then think that everything else will follow the same pattern and will just um fall into that broader overall structure of you know history repeating itself and there is something there is something self-perpetuating i think about you know whether you um are an optimist or a pessimist and there are psychological studies on that topic because obviously if you assume that your efforts will be rewarded and that your actions will have positive outcomes you're more likely to try something and if you assume that everything you start fails or is doomed or cursed or will just you know end badly then you won't even try and um you know th there are quite a lot of studies uh, especially in the domain of positive psychology that that look at this optimism versus pessimism mindset and how that actually uh, generates outcomes um but i wouldn't obviously go as far as the manifestors that you know if you if you envisage a positive future it is going to happen you still have to obviously put the work in and remain in touch with a you know economic psychological material reality at some level yeah i, I was just listening to something this week that the best argument someone made against manifestation, Dave Chappelle said, there isn't anybody in the world who needs more manifestation than someone who's starving. So why can't they just manifest food? Mm. And since people are still starving right now in the world all over, obviously manifestation doesn't work. And if you're going to blame them for not having food, you're a sick, you're a sick person, right? So that's the thing. I think they're, they have more incentive than anyone on the planet to manifest food and they can't. So manifestation of the physical reality may not work, right? I'm not, I mean, that that's probably doesn't work. I mean, 9.9999999 to the probably the hundredth power, we can probably say it doesn't get close. So um, I would say though, that you have to be careful with the news because the news job is to make you anxious and it's to make you hate other groups and it's to make you feel bad about the world because then you spend more time looking at it and they sell you advertising because the news has no interest in informing you. They have interest in selling you. I don't consume much news at all. And I discount it all. I think it's more entertainment now. Yeah. So I think if you look at scientific, technological, and cultural trends, trends, meaning more soaking in from your experience as well as talking to others, reading long-form content, it's a different... I, I think you can be more positive. If you read the news every day, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely work towards your negativity bias, right? The more you watch the news and the more you watch the day-to-day -day noise, the more you'll get subsumed by it. Whereas if you take a step back and look at the longer term trends, they actually seem to be mostly positive other than blips here and there. There's less wars, less famine, less disease now than ever. 
it, it, you know, if you look at the long-term trends, they're all in the positive. That isn't to be Pollyannish and say it will continue because people still need to work towards that. But if we decide that we can work towards it, I think it's possible to continue that trajectory into the positive. Um, but I also think that like what, what you said is you probably need a blend in ours. We can't have all super optimists because you want your uh, architect looking at a bridge over a river to be an optimist, right? Design a beautiful bridge. You want the project manager to be a realist. What do I need to get it done? And you want the civil engineer to be a pessimist because yeah. he's looking for what are the stress tests in the worst possible scenarios? Because if you reverse those, you have a bridge that falls in and kills everyone, right? Or even ugly bridge. Because, but if you have all three of those personalities working, you end up with a better, more beautiful, resilient bridge. So it seems like maybe in ourselves, we need to cultivate those, but we all have natural tendencies. And in our careers and our lives, we should find other people that complement us on teams so that we can execute more wonderful things in the world. Because if we were all in one of those quadrants, I don't think you would get nearly as much done. Yeah, fully agree with that. I think we need both optimists and pessimists to work together, you know. And C.G. Young um, argued that we, you know, that nature has created introverts and extroverts for a reason, because in some scenarios, introverts are more likely to survive. And in some scenarios, extroverts are more likely to survive. And by, you know, trying it both ways, you actually get a good selection, you get a pool of people who will survive. And I think the same is true with optimists and pessimists, right? I mean, they do need each other, and they complement each other very nicely. Um, and they can learn from each other. And I think the bridge example is a is a beautiful one. I think, and I, and I think, and I, so what you just said though is also interesting. Is so we we've always recognized there's been differences in our tribes, and they've been benefits, right? To have a balance. Mm. It seems like right now, in just things like positive psychology, growth mindset, it seems like there's never a place for the alternate. Like the growth mindset's better in all ways and the, and the optimists are better in all ways. When we know, looking at human history, you actually probably need an ability of both to actually move everything forward. And it's not that you, maybe personally you say, I wanna work on being more optimistic, but you're gonna have natural tendencies, right? And we should look at those tendencies maybe as strengths in groups, rather than everyone should, needs to be optimistic or everyone needs to be um, a growth mindset because there may be places for other, other mindsets within a group, right? And, or within a, a, a marriage or a partnership or a family, right? That not everyone has to fit this mold because maybe together we're stronger than if everyone was one way. Because it seems just right now, as you talk about, you and I talk about trends, people are, it's just like they were over-indexing extroverts. And now people have gone back and said, well, most of the great scientists in history, most of the great technological innovators are all introverts. So if you only want extroverts, if you train your kids to have to be extroverts, are you actually going to hurt development? Whereas maybe we should celebrate working you know, in progress on our things, but maybe you, you want some pessimists in every group and you want some, you know, not, not a cynical person, right? But, but a pessimist who says, we have to think about worst case scenarios. We have to think about what, what, where could we go wrong with the climate where it actually ends, right? And then you want to look at the optimists who say, well, there's nothing wrong with the climate. But then you need a lot of realists who are saying, well, let's work on the things to avoid both the, the, the pessimist scenarios, right? And I think, 
that's where we can come to more agreement is maybe people don't fit as easily into these binary boxes, right? Yeah, absolutely. I fully agree that, you know, in a, in a, in a powerful team, you would want both camps to be represented and you can draw on both, um, both sets of expertise to create something that will actually be solid. Um, and I do also think that, you know, optimism has become a bit almost like, you know, something that is the ideal, like we should all be more optimistic and pessimism is actually an unwanted quantity. And, and I guess Americans, generally speaking, are more on the optimistic side of the spectrum than Europeans, right? I'm just in a... Um, in an interesting um, coaching cohort where we have a lot of Californians and then a few old Europeans. And, and we're definitely, you know, kind of the more kind of neurotic, pessimistic, melancholic types. And the Californians are hyper optimistic and very exuberant and vivacious. And also the school of life, I don't think will ever be big in the in the States, right? And the school of life led by... Um, Alain de Botton, um, the kind of uh, French-Swiss, uh, UK-based philosopher who um, starts from a very pessimistic premise. You know, life is suffering. A lot of our ideals are ideals and they will never be realized, especially in the domain of romantic love. You know, we have absurdly high ideals and we're bound to fail and everything, you know, we, we will suffer misfortune and pain and romantic disappointment and, and our ideals will be crushed at some point. And he starts from a very pessimistic perspective, but then he builds something that is actually quite optimistic, right? Based on a pessimistic foundation. That's a philosophy that appeals to me enormously. You know, this assumption that, yeah, life is suffering. There will be bad stuff happening and a lot of our expectations will be disappointed, but there is scope, you know, and we are not alone. You know, there, there is, I think, also a lot of room for optimism in pessimistic worldviews and in, um, you know, more more tempered ways of, of seeing opportunities and um, possibilities. And that yeah, definitely there's a difference between countries and a difference within countries, right? Parts of California probably is the overly manifesting optimistic, but the divorce rates higher there than probably other parts of the country. So how does that work out for them? Probably not very well, right? So you also have a self-selection because people who tend to be coaches are going to be on the more optimistic. We can change and change people. I think that life is suffering, though, is the central message of every uh, major religion in the world, mm -hmm. right? So from the Eastern religions to all of the monotheistic uh, Middle Eastern religions, right? life is suffering and there's a reward in paradise after life this is this is sort of the this is the trial and the reward is afterwards and so i think our we, we may maybe there's people today who have this tremendously optimistic worldview but as a survival mechanism for history there was no <laughs> there was no one in the ancient world who was preaching that right they were saying you have agency you have a, you have a locus of control and if you have a lot more uh, resources, you have more control. If you're Marcus Aurelius, you have more control than you know Seneca, who has more control than Epictetus, but they all have limits, right? And they all recognize those limits, and they all probably had wonderful lives that they thought were great, and they were all vastly different. So I think that 
to me, you know, going back to one of our earlier episodes, stoicism is the ultimate antidote for both because it's not optimistic or pessimistic. Stoics actually try to embrace just reality. Mm. And they, they work towards the optimistic goals, but if things don't turn out, you don't destroy your life either. Yeah. Because your expectations aren't um, outside of your control. And that's yeah. like, that's the, you know, optimists who uh, go into the marriage thinking everything's going to be great without work. They have high divorce rates. And there's probably more pessimists who don't get divorced because they expected the, the marriage to be horrible. And then mm-hmm. what happens? That oh, turns out to be pretty well. And that's the, that's the reality with arranged marriages, right? Is why do they turn out well? People have low expectations. They probably thought it was going to be pretty badly. And their parents chose pretty well. So it wasn't so bad. So it's, it, we can see in our own world today that there, there's probably a pretty um, strong distributional trend for both of those, right? And then we all, uh, people joke at um, people like myself who try to be a balanced realist because they just say you're a thinly veiled pessimist. But that only comes from optimists who say that, right? They think they're, they're superior, their world is superior, so you should be more like them. Whereas I think that there's, an, an, like you said earlier, there's a sort of a need for all the different worldviews blended together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you just described, Patrick, is the idea of our horizon of expectation, right? And it can be very healthy to have a a realistic horizon of expectation or even a low horizon of expectation, because then when it turns out, when things turn out better, then you're positively surprised and you are going to be, you know, um, happy rather than distraught or deeply disappointed when things don't work out when things don't work out you'll be better prepared i don't know if you ever saw uh Lars von Trier's film melancholia which i think is an absolute masterpiece you know it's a it's a film about uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's basically about you know a kind of realist sister and a sister who slumps into depression and um, becomes incredibly melancholic and um, pessimistic. And then in the film, the world ends, like it literally ends. They get hit by a, a planet that comes comes their way. But the um, pessimist is prepared. And the pessimist, in the end, the melancholic sister takes charge and takes care of everybody else and, you know, protect and, and creates a beautiful protective artistic imaginary cave so so people can actually get a lot of comfort and solace from from the pessimist so it's a celebration of the you know pessimist as a as a realist um and it, of course it's an extreme statement but um but there are some psychologists who say you know depression is just realism <laughs> but of course it isn't because i do think depression is is an extreme filtering of reality you know like uh, it's 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 about you know putting your attention only on what is negative and what could go wrong and what has gone wrong in the past and there's a mm-hmm. lot between that 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 isn't being taken in i mean i i'm actually fascinated with how selective we are when we you know when we create our own identities around our life stories you know the episodes we choose you know the the experiences that we think of as formative experiences that choice that selection process alone tells us a lot about our 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 outlook generally speaking and 
it seems like you know having some of those pessimistic traits would be good for for level setting expectations understanding your true locus of control but if you're if you take it to the extreme you won't do anything because well why would i plant for this this fall's harvest uh it probably will probably have a fire oh it'll probably be a disaster so the pessimist is completely ineffectual the optimist is relatively ineffectual too and the person in between seems to be more effectual now in our society because we're at a large system you can have more optimists because they can hire a bunch of other people to work with them right an optimistic ceo founder is going to do better as a visionary than a pessimist or realist right but he needs pessimists and realists setting up his security his infrastructure his risk management so today i think it's we we actually have a there's more of a a, a place for all of the groups whereas you probably didn't need the real ultra pessimist in you know 500 years ago but today as a risk manager in a bank you probably need an ultra the ultra pessimist the, the most negative person in the world probably has a great job in an insurance company yeah right he's probably one of the top insurance executives you'll never see him on a zoom call because he's probably very <laughs> negative but at the same time in underwriting and developing their their risk models probably the best in the world so there's a balance today we can actually use each other better through you know, mutual negotiation than we probably could have in any time in history which is why that's where I fall back on being an optimist is there's more of a role today as as the arc of history for optimists and pessimists and realists because in the old days in your tribe it depending on your where you were in the world maybe you didn't have a use for everybody because if it was a really bad environment you didn't really need optimists but now optimists can find their way anywhere the internet they can find a place and a home and so can the pessimists and realists right the blends of these personalities have more of a home than ever yeah and people have talked about you know optimism and pessimism are relatively recent terms you know they emerged in the 18th century um i think leibniz used the term mm -hmm. optimism and Voltaire mocked it, you know, in Candide. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of early days yep. Pollyanna figure, <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's like, life is great. This is the best of the, all the, the possible The best of all worlds. possible worlds. And yep. he just goes through a series <laughs> of utter disasters. Um, so he mocked the, uh, the, the optimists. And then, and then you have all the pessimistic philosophers. And you mentioned Schopenhauer before. Um, so there's always been this battle, you know, between optimistic philosophers and pessimistic philosophers. Um, but also in terms of personality types, people have always talked about the different temperaments and how what they mm -hmm. look at and how they filter perception, right? You had the melancholics, obviously, aligned with the pessimists. And then you had the sanguine temperament and you had the cholerics and the phlegmatics and the melancholics have never been particularly popular throughout history and it's only in the romantic period that you know they were celebrated because mm -hmm. they were, you know and more, more and they thought <laughs> and they thought it was bodily humors that you may be able to change it right yeah. they thought maybe there was overabundance of certain um materials in your body that you could yeah. change yeah right? but yeah. yeah and now if you but but if you look at the end of voltaire's candide the message wasn't pessimistic right it was cultivate your own garden which is stoicism locus of control focus on what you can control and enjoy your life because it's a great life but don't expect it's going to all be great or all be bad so he he comes at the optimist not from a pessimistic worldview because i don't think voltaire was far from a pessimist but yeah. he was poking fun at people who think 
everything's always going to turn out better. I mean, it's easy to, right? It's the same as we, we can all, we can take the, um, you know, the, the, the straw man attack on either the extreme pessimist or optimist, and we can all make fun of it. The question is, is where you want to fall in those spectrums, where you personally fall, and then how you can optimize your life around it. And maybe you started this with saying you're, um, you know, an optimist about people's ability to change. How much ability do they have, Anna, to change those aspects of their personality, mm-hmm. right? Is it something when you work, when you talk to someone and they're maybe an extreme of either side, is it, how, how do you level set that or talk to them about it? Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't want them to change that, right? I, I, I mean, I think, ironically, there are quite a lot of happy pessimists out there. <laughs> I mean, people who hold more pessimistic views aren't necessarily miserable or act in a certain way, right? You can have a worldview that isn't necessarily geared towards optimism and you can still act fairly optimistic in your own life or you can um, take actions as though you were quite hopeful about good outcomes. So so I don't think that pessimists are necessarily automatically, you know, unhappy people. Um, That's another paradox. Mm -hmm. Right. And and you can have some mm-hmm. optimists who constantly get disappointed, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, you know, this should have worked out. This didn't work out. Um, so happiness and optimism, pessimism, probably not necessarily correlated. Um, mm-hmm. And I think also this idea of, um, you know, what you mentioned earlier, that that point about religion consigning the you know, the optimistic reward into the afterlife is is also really interesting because I guess what happened with secularization is that we expect it now in this life, you know, we and that there are quite a quite a few you know, self-help doctrines and personal development doctrines that are all about, you know, happiness is your birthright. You have a right to a happy, fulfilled life. And I think a lot of kids have have grown up with that message deeply in in internalized and then they 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 suffer even more when when bad stuff happens because their horizon of expectation is quite high and then when reality bites that's a shock to the system whereas you know what you described earlier the, the idea that life is suffering some of it will come to your way is is probably more realistic and and you you develop a different expectation and and probably more resilience when you know when the shit hits the fan and it will for everyone at some point of something right in some way in their life yeah um and that's why i think it's a it's not as easy as any side wants to make it out right to have this blend of these aspects that that you're talking about and it's good probably to have friends and advisors and tribe members and um, co-workers that have much different outlooks because when you when the pessimist needs to pick me up it's good to have a, a nice optimist who's not too pollyannish to explain to you hey look at the arc of human history we're getting better things are going to get better and um it there is progress available that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean on the macro scale your personal life right and i'm so i, I i'm i'm a realist in in a lot of ways and a pessimist in many ways, but I also think the trajectory is I'm optimistic about because human knowledge and technology compounds. People don't compound, right? 
they don't necessarily compound in their life. Not everyone reads or develops enough skill to have compounding. Um, and we have deterioration of our physical abilities as we get older. That's a pessimistic view. That That's actual truth, right? You're not going to be as strong at 50 as you were at 30. Mm, but you might and, 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 You can, yeah, but, but, that's, but that's where you have to wait. But I'm saying you're, there's always loss and gain. And that's why you can compound knowledge. You can probably maintain strength and physical ability, but you can't necessarily increase it. There's different parts of your life. There's seasons to it. Mm-hmm. And that's where having a long-term optimistic worldview, you could say, you know, for, for yourself, Anna, it's one thing, but then for your daughter, it's another. She's going to have abilities and opportunities that you can't imagine. And you just want to give her the tools and a blend of these abilities because you wouldn't want to doom her to any one of those extreme quadrants. You don't want her to be, everything's going to be perfect all the time because the first time she hits a speed bump, she might collapse in anxiety and depression. And you don't want to be a pessimist to think the world's not great at all at anywhere. So it's a blend. It's sort of what would you want to teach um, mm. your, ch- your children right, about the world? Absolutely. And then I think also, you know, the long termist or the short termist view, I mean, the time frame is is really important, you know, and, and the season. And um, I think this idea that we can, um, you know, really that each worldview or each way of looking at life has, has strengths and advantages and disadvantages is, is really, really important. And, you know, even the way we talk about technology. So I came the other day I came across the term tech enabled, you know, the tech enabled generation. And I was like, wow, I've never heard that before, you know, because everyone is talking about the horrors of social media and how they erode um, self-confidence and our ability to, to concentrate and so on. And that's all there. But, you know, someone was talking about, yeah, this generation is tech enabled from birth and they will actually be be able to use those skills and that knowledge in in totally different ways. So even the way we talk about tech, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the choice of words here is really significant. You know, the social mm-hmm. media damaged generation or the tech enabled generation, um, and it shows you that you can always look at, look at the same phenomena phenomenon in 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 totally different ways from totally different perspectives. And that may be a great point, Anna, for people to think about their use of language when it comes to these things like that. Because on, on that end, I will air with the positive psychology researchers that if you have a choice in the language, it's better to air on looking at it from the positive perspective because it frames you into the positive. It doesn't remove the risks. It doesn't move your acknowledgement, the difficulties. But just by framing it more positively, it's a better outcome, right? Even though you, it's not saying oh, there aren't issues with being tech-enabled, right? It, what it's saying is, is why not just look at it? If you have a default choice, let's just be more positive and not be unaware of the risks and not just look only to the tails on the right-hand side. Yeah. Acknowledge the tails on the left-hand side of the distribution, but also try to push our language more towards the, the right-hand tails because on the margins, it will push us more towards that, right? On the, when, when we discuss in our language, because we have to be careful, right? It's the same thing as w- whatever we call people or group them. If we tend towards the negative, it's probably we're going to co- color all of their motives with the negative lens. When we can't impugn their motives, we can't see into the brains. But if we call them, you know, lazy versus distracted, mm. those are two much different, much different terminologies, right? Yeah. And so I think 
that may be something everyone could agree on is we should probably err on our language towards the side of the positive because it would make all of human interaction a little bit better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Agree with that. I think that's a beautiful um, way to end. No, thank you, Anna. Appreciate okay. it.